Welcome to the Women Talk Podcast, where ordinary women share their extraordinary stories. We would love for you to share your story on our podcast. Go to www.womentalk.ca and apply to share your story. And now let's welcome your host, founder, and CEO of Women Talk, Bridget Lassard DL. Friends, welcome to the Women Talk podcast. I am Bridget Lessardiel, the founder of Women Talk, and your host of this fabulous five minute summer story clubhouse challenge. Now, the story that I'm sharing with you today were recorded live on our clubhouse event. And if you're interested in hopping in and listening to more stories or even sharing your stories we will be broadcasting live every Wednesday night from 6 30 p.m mountain time on clubhouse you can find us at the women talk club on clubhouse to start off our live event I shared a real life super Mario Kart story When I was a kid, we didn't have video games like Super Mario Kart. We played real-life video games. And not only did we play real-life video games, but we even invented our own games. One summer, my dad took us to a go-kart race. The race started with a huge ramp and continued down this humongous hill. The entire course was lined with hay bales. The racers all wore helmets, which in 1973 was definitely specialty racing equipment. Every race had three carts racing to the finish line, and it was exhilarating. I fell madly in love with go-kart racing. I knew deep down in my bones that I was born to be a racer. Until I realized that every single driver was a boy. Not even one girl raced that day. When I asked my dad if he would build me a go-kart for next year's race, it was a hard no. Back then, Dad was still really old-fashioned, and there were many lessons I needed to teach him about girl power. I was going to show him that girls can race. The very next day, I recruited my little brother and our neighbor friend as assistant to build my very own go-kart. They wouldn't dare remind me that I was a girl and couldn't race. Our go-kart would be constructed of the best available material on the market. A 2x6 for the main frame, a square piece of plywood for the seat, and 2x4s for the front and rear axles. The four wheels we took from an old pull cart. It looked great. The steering would be done with our feet pushing left or right on the front 2x4 and pulling a rope we also had attached to the axle. It was perfect! 
Level one, accomplish. Yahoo! As Mario would say. We decided that my brother should go first since he was the smallest. Down the dirt driveway he went and it worked. Level two, accomplish. Yahoo! Next, our neighbor went, but this time we gave him a big push. He went down the hill a little bit faster. Now it was my turn. I was psyched. I tell the boys, push me as hard as you can. And it sucked. It was not at all the kind of speed I had envisioned. Without a big paved hill, how could we go faster? And just like in the Mario video game, we needed to figure out how to get to the next level. That's when I got a brilliant idea. Guys, go get Satan. Yeah, that was our neighbor's Rottweiler's name. We're going to make him pull the cart. As I sit there waiting for Satan... I remember thinking, I wish I owned a helmet. Well, not for protection. We didn't worry about that back then. Just because I would have looked so good in a helmet. The boys finally arrive with Satan, and they attach his chain to the go-kart. I brace myself for high speed, and then nothing. No matter how hard we pulled or pushed, a 90-pound dog would not budge. Man, we're stuck at level two. How can we make him run? (gasps) Sheila, the female dog. I didn't know why, but every time Satan saw Sheila, he would go nuts and chase after her. I tell the boys, go get Sheila. I stay behind with Satan, attached to the go-kart, front feet on the axle, hands on the rope, ready to achieve level three. Suddenly, Sheila comes running around the corner. The moment Satan sees her, the go-kart takes off like a rocket. I am flying. The wind on my face feels fantastic. That's when I decide to drive the cart to the right. But Satan goes left in his pursuit of Sheila. He is now running full speed towards the ditch. Suddenly, I am airborne. And the last thing I remember is staring at my pink shoes against the beautiful blue sky. Then, darkness. Game over. When I open my eyes, I see my brother and my neighbor staring at me with admiration. Man, that was groovy! Which today would translate to Super Mario Galaxy! Yahoo! Next, Amy Hutton shares her Girl Guide summer camp story. Today, across Canada, is a very special day at Tim Hortons. It is their annual camp day, which is when every purchase of iced coffee or coffee is purchased, money goes directly to Santa. Now, as we all know, COVID has been turning the world upside down since last year. 
And we all know the different levels of shutdown that was happening. And this includes the youth residential summer camps. So last year and this year, summer camps for youth have been canceled and not running. And this like worries me because what I know to be true is that for many youth, summer camp is their safe space to be themselves due to many factors and reasons that take place in the school or possibly in the home. And one of those reasons is bullying. Did you know that according to the Canadian Institute of Health Research Canada has the that Canada has the the 13 year old category on a scale of 35 countries. We're in the top 10 of something I don't want to be in the top 10 of. And any participation in bullying increases the risk of suicidal ideations in youth. And you know what? I can believe this. Because growing up in my elementary school days, I was severely emotionally and verbally bullied by my peers between grades three and grade eight including being physically attacked twice in grade five and in grade seven. I yearned for safety, support, and sisterhood. And being at the Girl Guide summer camp, that's where I found my safe space. This year, Tim Hortons has bracelets to help raise money as well. Each bracelet has a word on them. The words are confidence, resilience, courage, and leadership. And this reminds me of a story from my Girl Guide days at the Doe Lake Provincial Girl Guide Camp near Sprucedale, Ontario. I was attending a two-week camp when I was 14. I used, to, I, I used and grew my confidence, resilience, and courage and leadership. This camp, the two-week theme, was all about Pathfinder Potpourri which meant every night before supper, we got to choose our own activities for the next day. So kind of like a choose your own adventure camp within boundaries and limits. I would choose activities I enjoyed and knew I could even help lead. For example, I signed up for the talent night and helped my fellow camper with playing our instruments. She played the flute and I played the clarinet. And yes, this was the first time I had brought my instrument of my clarinet to a summer camp in the middle of the bush. The guiders had asked me too to lead a group to point X on the property, which was rather large, but because I knew it so well, they could trust me and they knew I had the confidence and the courage to help the younger campers get to where they needed to be. The following summer, when I was 15, I participated in a month-long camp which included a five-night canoe trip. Resiliency came into play that lot that time to keep going on the portages and the canoeing and everything else that goes along with a camping trip and a canoe trip. I was tired, but the Girl Guide motto of smile and sing, even under difficulty, really shined those days. And my resiliency grew that, oh, I can do hard things. I can keep going. So summer camps are important and they help youth feel safe and they've helped build life skills and values they use every day. And I swear being at the Girl Guide summer camp saved my life because 
I had those dark suicidal ideations at age 12. The bullying was so bad, yet my safe space was camp. And that's what I held on to every day when I was going to school. That I just got to get to June. I just got to get to June. Then I'll be okay. I'll be at camp. And when I was there, I found safety, support, and sisterhood. Hey, nature lovers and glamping lovers. Next, we have Rebecca Bitten, who shares her glamping story. Story where, um, and it's very funny because I did in fact do a regular camping trip uh, with my partner and two friends, and you know it was uh, it everyone you know I I'm a I'm a huge nature lover I love being around trees I have tattoos of trees on me um, they've always been a huge huge omen of growth and abundance and peace and serenity. And so I'm always interested in getting in the woods and getting lost in the woods and coming out with great stories, cooking my own food. So the last time we did our camping trip, just before glamping, we were not fancy at all. In fact, my partner still had a uh, repertoire of cooking utensils that his parents had since the 70s. So we were using pots and pans and uh, little kind of cookers that we would put on the fire. Uh, we had an old school French press, uh, which was completely copper. And we were roughing it out. And I was building fires. I was carrying all my luggage. Uh, I pitched my own tent. I'm putting in all of this blood, sweat, and tears just so that I can sit around the campfire and, you know, just you know, tell stories and enjoy the stars. And then my, my friend came up to me and said, you know, why don't we do this, but not have to do any of the work? And I thought, well, I mean, I kind of like the work because the work allows me to feel accomplished. It makes me, you know, have something to, to wipe my face. I get to wipe a little sweat off my brow when I'm done the, the whole trip. And she says, yes, but you're not thinking bigger. You need to think a bigger tent, queen size bed, Nespresso coffee machine ready for you in the morning. And I think that you deserve a glamping experience. And I said, wow, glamping, what kind of, what kind of an experience is this? And so I actually saw my first time I saw glamping was actually in the middle of the Toronto concrete jungle at Young and Eglinton where there was tons of construction. And in the middle of this hustling and bustling metropolitan epicenter was a huge canvas tent with a beautiful queen-size bed, two end tables, two lamps, a dresser, um, a coffee machine, rugs, extra blankets, wine glasses, um, and two Muskoka chairs. And we just sat uh, sat there and I, I said to myself, I'm like, wow, this is my my sanctuary, being in the hustle bustle, but still connecting um, to my nature. And I thought this was just a pop-up. And then when my friend told me that there's actual Airbnbs that do this, uh, she showed me a picture of uh, what they call a yurt, which is a bigger can uh, glamping um, tent. And one of the most magical things about this was that it was stationed in Elora, Ontario, which is just an hour and a half away from my location. 
extremely charming city uh, lined with gardens, beautiful restaurants, like one that was that I, my favorite, which was called the Friendly Society, which is exactly what this place was. It was just a friendly society. And, you know, where we were staying was actually in a fieldstone barn that actually grew sunflowers. So my girlfriend and I were very excited to come with our linen dresses, taking pictures in the sunflowers. Unfortunately, the sunflowers were not in season at the time. But I can tell you that walking to my tent with wood chip paths and bridges that were man-made and trees that were lit up um, with Christmas lights and having my own personal hammock uh, just outside of my tent, I got to warm up with a good book. And everything was serene as can be. I would walk out of my tent, see these beautiful trees, listen to the birds in the morning, um, and start getting inspired by my surroundings. One inspiration that I thought was really funny that kind of added the thrill to the chill, so to speak, was when we went into town and I tried biking, which I haven't done in about, I think about 16 years since I've actually got on a bicycle. And I drove right into town with my white linen dress and my big summer hat. And it was the most thrilling experience because I was driving down on the real streets. Everybody was passing by me, waving. Um, I hadn't been on the road with a bike before. And it was just an incredibly inspiring experience. I came back with a ton of ideas, um, left my my phone at home, completely disconnected, um, and just relish in the beauty that is Laura, Ontario in my personal tent with my personal fire pit. Um, and I felt like a queen and I feel like, you know, maybe I will become what, one of those lesbians that just shack up in the woods forever, because if that's what it feels like, then sign me up for the lifetime, the lifetime offer. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm Rebecca and that is the glamping experience. Every single woman here deserves Our next story is by Heidi Dustin, who is sharing how to lean into grief and finding ways to connect with those who are grieving. You know those moments in life when someone hands you something and the only thing you can do is take an action? A great example, when someone tosses you a pillow, does a pillow fight often start? Well, a few years ago, my late husband, Mike, and I were shopping at Costco, and I found my dream water gun called the Aqua Bazooka, and I just had to have it. This thing was a beaut. It had two large, long barrels. It was easy to load, and just by looking at it, I knew I could soak anyone from near or far. Now, the weather in February in Calgary, Alberta, Canada is not so accommodating for water fights, but that's not going to hold me back. I was going to buy this water gun in hopes for a hot summer. Little did Mike know that I wasn't going to be waiting until summer to see how well my latest purchase would perform. And on the way home, I was plotting to make him my very first target. When we arrived home, I brought in a box of groceries and my bazooka, and he hadn't noticed that anything's going to go awry. I'd headed to the kitchen to unpack the groceries and secretly load my new gun while he went, in to, went out to bring out the last of the groceries. When he walked back in, he saw me calmly putting away produce while he took his shoes and winter coat off. It was so hard for me to keep a straight face. I was giggling. 
I thought I even may pee, might pee my pants as I thought it was so hard to keep in because he had no idea that the bazooka was fully loaded and sitting on the kitchen counter. As he started into the kitchen, I picked up my bazooka and from about eight feet away, I unleashed both barrels on him. I'm not sure who, what he was more shocked about, getting completely soaked or that I'd even consider using a water gun in the house. The look on his face was priceless. He was dripping water from everywhere while screaming at me that I can't use a water gun in the house. I was laughing uncontrollably. It was quite the sight. I guess he considered water guns to be an outside toy, and I quickly showed him who's boss. Afterwards, all he could do was laugh. He was completely soaked, standing in a puddle of water and trying to put all the pieces together of what had just happened. While cleaning up the puddle and getting him dried off, we talked about how this would be a great weapon for a water fight, and it became our new quest to find more water guns so we could host a summertime water fight. Every time we went to a garage sale or were near a kid's store, we were picking up water guns and building an arsenal of water weaponry. And soon, after just a few months, we were fully stocked. Can you imagine it? Two grown adults with no children, and we owned 20 super soakers, a ton of water guns, and water balloons. You name it, we got it. And I have to say, I was proud that I had the only aqua bazooka. We scheduled the water fight extravaganza and our friends and their children were excited for this event. It was a super hot day in July and there was a mix of children aged six to 60 all lined up in the yard. We were all, all started lining up our guns and it kind of looked like one of those cops and robbers shows. You know, the ones where cops are in their locker picking their weapon of choice before heading to a raid. Our yard was filled with guns of every shape, size, and all sorts of bright colors, and each person loaded up and strapped on their guns. As we each scoped out the landscape and searched for the various refill stations filled with water and water balloons, you could hear the strategizing going on. We quickly could tell this was going to be an adults versus kids fight. The battle was intense. People were running in all directions, hiding behind cars and under decks. Water was flying everywhere, and the neighborhood was filled with shrieks and screams of laughter as everyone was fully engaged. At times, some of the women who chose to spectate rather than partake would scream out, Don't get my hair wet! as water flew into the protected no-fly zone. The shrills and the screeches from kids and adults as they successfully ambushed someone often filled the air. As the guns started to empty and the balloons disappeared, as much as this could have gone all, on all afternoon, between the running away from attackers and the running to attack someone all while laughing made things wind down after a good hour. To be honest, I'm not sure if I was more out of breath from running away from people or from laughing so hard. We had so much fun. Everyone started coming out of their hiding spots and bringing this extravaganza to a close. We, everyone was dirty, dripping wet, and we all had water balloon butts bits stuck to us. I have to admit the kids beat the adults, but I'm not sure any of us adults felt like felt like adults that afternoon. So I consider all of us winning. So from a winter water gun purchase in February to a hot July summer afternoon with friends of all ages, there are memories of this water extravaganza that will stay with us forever. Our next story is a story of sailing. Joanne Neweduck shares her summer stories spent with her dad on their sailboat. All right. It was 
1980 something. And I was in my early 20s with my dad in his awesome 22 foot non-such sailboat. He had had it for about a year or two. And I was so excited that I had a chance to go sailing with him. We are on Georgian Bay in Ontario. Now, Georgian Bay is massive. Being on that is like being on the ocean for as far as we could see was water and sky. And it was incredible. It was a beautiful blue day. Or so we thought. Over in the distance, looming clouds started to form. My dad started to get a little more nervous. Now you have to remember, this is back in the day when we didn't have a cell phone that we could instantly see and look at the radar of where the weather was coming from. We had to just go by the predictions of what we could hear advance before we set out. And I was getting a little worried. I was a nurse by then and I had to get back to my job the next day and we had to get back to the marina. But my dad said, we can't do it. We can't go that way. We need to set a new course. So we said, okay, fine, we'll set a new course. We're off to Beaujolais Island. Well, this storm came up so fast. I have never experienced anything like it before or to this day. My poor dad is screaming, drop the sails. And we're lowering the sails. And it was just he and I on the boat. And we managed to get those tied down. And he got the mud of the wave, having to turn the boat slightly and ride it down on the next side. It was like surfing up the wave and down again and up the wave and down again. And we could see our destination in sight, this beautiful Beaujolais Island, but it kept disappearing. Every time we went down into the waves, I couldn't believe it was just like out of a movie. But we finally made it there. And there's these big cement, um, like concrete docks that are public docks. And we're looking and we're going, oh my gosh, there's a spot for us we can make it on. Because in the meantime, all the other boats now are getting in there and we're out of the big waves, but they're still significant waves. We throw our ropes on, we get tied on, and then suddenly what I realize is we're facing, the boat drops down, the boat rides up and bang. The boat drops down, the boat rides up and bang into the fenders, nonstop. Every few seconds, the boat drops down in the trough, up and bang. And we're looking at each other going, what are we going to eat? And it's like good old peanut butter and jelly. That's about all we can make for dinner tonight. And the storm and the rain has started at this point and we could hear it outside. So we kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, I think we need to go to bed early. We tucked down in and I'm lying in this bed and the waves are going down and up and bang and down and up and bang and down and up and bang. And I found myself lulled to sleep. And I was just in a beautiful slumber at this point in time. One o'clock in the morning comes around and somebody yells in and goes, is anybody in there? Can you help us? Somebody's lost anchor. Adrenaline rushing. We grab our raincoats, put them on very poorly. Rain is pouring in and we climb out and, and very carefully get onto the dock and we look. And one of the boats that had been anchored, this big, gorgeous, metal frame, 45 foot sailboat had lost anchor and it's tossing around in the waves and it's whipping around. The, the wind is still whipping and everybody is 
trying to help and finally they get the motor and they get it over to the dock as close as they could and there's barely anywhere to put it because there's so many boats there one try two tries three tries the rope finally makes it and we're tugging it in and all of us are pulling at once this is a huge heavy boat and we finally get it tied down and everybody is like shaking hands and cheering and everyone goes back to their boat and we get settled and we sleep the rest of the night after toweling ourselves off. Remember, we don't have a nice hot shower at this point. And we get up in the morning and it's a glorious sunny day. It's like the storm had never happened. And we meet this family and it was a beautiful family from South Africa. They had sailed all the way from South Africa and they were very experienced sailors, but they didn't understand at the time that this really is like an ocean and the lake weed had released their anchor. They didn't have a solid anchor. You need to put an anchor plus a long chain and sometimes a second anchor. And they were so grateful for all of us helping. And to this day, I look back at that time and I reflect and I reflect on the stories or at the meaning of the story. And one, no matter how experienced we are, when we go into uncharted territories, we need to be open to learn something new. Two, when we're in trouble, we can call out for help, even in the darkest, stormy middle of the night, and we can get there and get the help we need because there's always a helping hand. And three, when people go through, I, 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 I won't say traumatic, but a really trying event, there's camaraderie. There is a connection. And lastly, that legends, summertime legends, are made on the Great Lakes of Canada. Next is Every Cloud Has a Shape by Irma Goosen. Shapes I did to try rollerblading for the first time. It obviously wasn't a logical decision. Here I was, little old me, in my 30s, dressed in more protective gear than a SWAT team. I was a woman in the best shape of her life who thought she would be the next super athlete. Did I think I could revisit my teen years? The day started out so well. We bought the rollerblades, invested in helmets and elbow and knee pads and gloves weeks before. We could hardly contain our excitement. We had a breakfast spread fit for kings that morning. When it was time, I stretched, I breathed, and might I add, my protective gear matched my outfit. And I took off the next Wonder Woman on rollerblades. My legs each went on their own journey. My arms windmilled and my head somehow took a different path. I huffed and I puffed and I landed winded on my back watching the clouds. As feelings returned to my fallen self, I started to check 
if I were still alive, feet and legs attached, check, hands and arms, check, oh, I could even turn my head from left to right and side to side, up and down. As I laid there, my wonderful, kind, supporting family was laughing so hard they couldn't catch their breath to ask if I were okay or to even help me up. Now, I had two choices. I could strangle all of them or I could laugh with them, pick up my bruised buddy and try again. Epictetus was a Greek Stoic philosopher who said, it's not what happens to you, but how you react that matters. I had an epiphany that day as I watched the clouds after my spectacular fall. We're all different. We look different. We act different. And we love different. We're shapes of clouds in the never-ending sky. And, unfortunately, not all of us are the next Olympian. Clouds get formed when we have the perfect environment. Heat, the ground heats the air above it. The warm air rises and it condenses. And then enough condensed moisture will form a cloud. Ideas are also formed because the conditions are ideal. They spur of the moment. We decide we want to do summertime activities to keep the kids busy. Or we get the urge to prove that we are, after all, kids at heart. I'm sure you're wondering if I actually went back to rollerblading. I used my mom fluence and best pouty face and asked for someone on either side of me to support me as I tried out my balancing act one more time. My, my kids realized it was okay to not do something perfect but still have fun. You see, dear friends, we're not alone. The next time you have a spontaneous idea that you would like to try, grab family members or friends, make sure you are supported and create your cloud's very own shape. But whatever you do, have fun. Michelle Nordoff is our next storyteller and she shares her experience of the West Edmonton Mall water slide, even though she is scared of water. It was interesting when I first heard about the opportunity for doing a summer story, for whatever reason, this particular memory came back uh, to me. And so that's what I would like to share. Uh, so it was probably, I'm gonna say, um, mid nineties, son was about 12 and our daughter was about eight and we had talked for a really long time as a family about trying to get together for some sort of um, getaway 
And of course, when we asked our son and daughter where they wanted to go, they said West Edmonton Mall. And of course, for me, I'm like, well, this is fantastic because I love to shop. And the side benefit, of course, for them would be the water park. And so opportunity came up for us on uh, one of the Canada Day weekends. And there we were hitting the road to uh, go to West Edmonton Mall and stay at the hotel for a few days and have an adventure. And so, you know, the first, um, you know, part of the day was a little bit of shopping, but I could tell both Jonathan and Samantha were really itching to go to the water park. And so I said, fine, you know, I can finish shopping later and we'll definitely, you know, spend some time at the water park. Now for me, whenever I'm at the water's edge, whether it be the pool, the pond, the lake, the ocean, I'm filled simultaneously with both fear and fascination. And so for me, I've always been afraid of the water. Um, I had two close calls of drowning when I was a young child. Um, I managed to even flunk pre-beginner swimming lessons, then later beginners. So thankfully, my dad taught me enough to keep me afloat mostly. And so here we were, we were going to be at the water park, um, having, you know, some splash time, I guess you would say. And so here I am in the midst of the fear also feeling an incredible sense of fascination because I do have a fascination with water. And so it was in this enthusiasm that I looked forward to hanging out with my hubby and the kids for the afternoon at the park. And so when we got to the water park, we decided that we would start with the wave pool. And I was nervous. And so, you know, you kind of tip your toes in I kind of stayed in the shallow end for a little bit, and each time waves came through, I would get braver and braver. So there came a point where I kind of felt like I was along with everybody else, really enjoying the wave pool, when suddenly my daughter, who was only eight at the time, she had spotted a water slide that she had wanted to go down. I had no words. It was the most scary slide in the whole water park, but she was determined that she was gonna go down this slide. So she looked at me and I turned and I looked at her dad. And so long story short, she was just tall enough to go on the slide and with her dad agreeing to go down the slide ahead of her, she got her wish. And so for me, uh, having never been on a water slide, I wasn't sure if I, even wanted to, even a small one. But with a lot of self-talk, I finally mustered enough courage to try my first ride. I swear, the walk up the stairs seemed to take forever and I'm sure my feet got heavier with each step. And so if I finally reached the top and before I had time to really prepare myself for this death-defying adventure, it was my turn. What, already? my heart started to pound and my breath quickened. And I knew that I couldn't delay too long because there was a line up behind me. So I settled myself into the seated position, my fingers clutching the sides of the tube and I could feel my bottom touching the hard plastic and the coolness of the water was splashing upon me. And there my heart was racing and my breath was catching and my thoughts bounced all over around inside my head. 
And because I knew I couldn't take too long and people were waiting on me, with the most brave thought I could muster, I gave myself a push. It was terrifying and fascinating all at once. I would cling to the sides and then release. As I would pick up speed, I would grab the sides. And then as I got control of the speed, then I would allow myself to release. There was twists and turns, and I had no idea where I was going. It was uncharted territory to me. And there were times and places where you got to a certain point, and it was kind of like, oh, is this the end? Okay, no, it's not. And I would just keep going and just have all these thoughts going back and forth in my mind. And just when I started to feel a sense of maybe having a kind of a flow with the movement of the water and heading down the slide, I saw the light followed by a free fall and then splash. <laughs> I was like a rock sinking to the bottom. Quickly trying to get my bearings, I looked for the direction to the surface for air while trying not to panic. I tell you, it was exhilarating as I broke the surface, greedily gulping air. I had made it. And as I climbed out of the pool, I was trembling and my legs felt weak. And at the same time, I felt this incredible feeling of accomplishment. And it was in that moment that I had realized that I had taken a chance, a risk to do something a little scary, and a little thrilling. And at that moment, I knew that as much as I had been afraid, that I had also found a place of excitement because of that accomplishment. And I realized that I could have chosen to stay at the water's and while I had overcome my fear, which was amazing, the best was spending time with my family as we spent the rest of the day going on various slides and playing in the water. Well, that's it, friends. The show is over. Thank you for joining us, whether it was on Clubhouse or here at our podcast. And stay tuned for the relaunch of Women Talk in September 2021. Enjoy your summer. If you have a burning desire to share your story with our audience, apply to be on our podcast. To apply and find a full list of our podcasts, go to www.womentalk.ca.